This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. so great to be able to preach to some live bodies and not just a camera. I really appreciate you being here. Um, Get out your Bibles, turn them to Mark chapter 2. For those of you watching online, get your Bibles out, get your Being Transformed journals. In fact, if you're watching online and you have your Being Transformed journal, I want you to, to, to drop an orange emoji of some kind in the chat so we know you're with us, that you are all in, you're going to be taking notes this morning. We are continuing our Stronger series, This Must Be Stronger Than That, and today we are going to be talking about how rest must be stronger than exhaustion. Rest must be stronger than exhaustion. Back in the 1980s, Kamai Shuji was a rising prodigy in the field of Japanese stockbrokers. He graduated from college. He got a job at a brokerage firm. And his first task that he was given was cold calling potential clients. So he started to go to work Monday through Friday, 7.40 a.m. to 5 o'clock p.m. Pretty standard. But he realized he wasn't able to generate enough leads in that time. So he changed his schedule and he began working from 7.40 a.m. to 10 p.m., seven days a week. And he became a rising star in his generation of stockbrokers. Like all of the young traders wanted to be him and his company honored and celebrated him all of the time. He was regularly working 90 hour work weeks, 13 hours a day, seven days a week. Shuji was all in. Shuji was crushing it. Shuji is dead. He's dead. He died at a weekend sales seminar at a resort. He collapsed and died. What was the cause of death? His heart simply gave out. He was 26 years old, 26 years old. This happens so often in Japan that it has been diagnosed as a medical condition called Karoshi, death by overwork. Cause of death, death by overwork. 40 years later, across the Pacific, many of us Americans are heading down the same path. There is no larger country in the world as productive as the United States that averages more hours of work a year. Political scientists say that Americans work longer hours and they have shorter vacations than people in comparably rich societies. In other words, we are working longer and resting shorter, and the result is exhaustion on all fronts. People are exhausted in their bodies. They're not getting near enough sleep, pushing their bodies to their limits, running off coffee and Red Bull. We're exhausted in our minds. Like so much information is being like, we are bombarded with information. So much so we don't even have time to process and absorb half of it, which just leaves our minds exhausted. We're exhausted in our souls. People who have little time to be with God, to let him tend to their lives, to learn from him the rhythms of life, exhausted in our souls, our bodies, our minds, multi-layered exhaustion is what we're looking at. Are you exhausted 
today. Somebody let out a big sigh with me. Maybe you find yourself in a loop of exhaustion similar to this one that I created in Canva this week that my graphic designer husband and my aspiring graphic designer daughter, Bo, mocked me for. They're like, you're really going to use that? It's good, okay? It, 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 it gets the point across. Look at this little cycle I made. I think that's pretty good. It's good, right? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, this exhaustion cycle, maybe you find yourself somewhere here. Here's how it starts, assimilating assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. A busy, uh, a product of the environment. It starts with assimilation. Like, oh, this is how we do things here in the States. Like busy is a badge of honor and hustle is celebrated and productivity and ambition. That's what's going to get me ahead. And so we get on this train going the same direction as everybody else well on our way to living the American dream, which I don't know if we really examined that closely, if that's the dream that we want. Next in this cycle is marginalizing. We begin to marginalize God. We have less and less time and space to be with God because we're assimilating into the culture. We get too busy, like too tired to get up in the morning and to be with God. Too tired by the end of the night to do anything other than like binge watch a show about some murderer and then the next night binge watch a different show about the same murderer because apparently the one show, the 10 hours on this guy was not enough. So we're too tired to do anything else than, than, uh, other than like scroll through TikTok to mindlessly just numb out our families, get our leftovers. And then what I see happening is because people are working so hard, their families are getting their leftovers that then they decide to make family time weekend time. And the weekend is for the family. So we're going to stop going to church and we're going to marginalize and push God further and further off the page of our life. What happens next in the cycle of exhaustion is deterioration. Relationship with God begins to deteriorate as will a relationship with any living thing that you marginalize. If you uh, marginalize feeding your plant, watering your plant, if you're too busy to water your plant, guess what? The plant will deteriorate. No time to spend with God and your relationship with him will start to deteriorate. You'll lose that first love flame, that passion, the desire to be with him, which leads you to being more vulnerable. Vulnerability. You're not being transformed by the renewing of your mind because of a deteriorating relationship with him, and now you are so very vulnerable to believing that this overworked, stressed out, exhausted, depressed, dealing with all kinds of medical conditions, that this is just the norm. You're you're, you're vulnerable for believing that this is just the way things have to be. The next place is conformity. Before you know it, you have conformed to the pattern of the world, a cookie cutter pattern, overworked, exhausted, stressed, finding your identity and what you do and finding your worth and what you can produce, blending in with everybody else in the world instead of being a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, exhausted, exhausted. How did we end up here? How did we end up here? Like people literally working themselves to death, people never stopping, never stopping to think a thought, never stopping to be with God, never stopping to rest, like always on the go, always on the phone. 
always wishing they had more hours in the day, always on a verge of breakdown, always on the verge of burnout, always wishing that we had more time. What has happened to us? Here is a question I want you to consider. How can people, how can a people with so many time-saving devices with so much technology, live such leisureless lives? How can a people with so many amazing things to make life easier, how can we live such restless lives? How did we get here? John Mark Comer in his book, The, Ruth, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he has this interesting like breakdown of these huge turning points in history that got us to this place where we, we are at um, living these exhausted lives. He says, uh, most historians point to the year 1370 as a turning point in the Western world's relation to time. So what happened in 1370? The first ever public clock tower was erected in Cologne, Germany. So you have to realize, like at this point, the question like, what time is it, was not a question that was being asked. So the joke, it's time for you to get a watch, was not being given. Like there was, there was no, that, that joke did not exist until probably 1370. What time is it? It's time for you to go look at the public, the, the public clock tower. They didn't know what time it was because time was like a natural thing. It was based to the rotation of the earth. People went to bed with the moon and they got up with the sun. Days were long and busy in the summer. They were short and slow in the winter. There was a rhythm to every day. There was a rhythm to the year, but the clock changed all of that. It created artificial time. The idea that, uh, that's so ingrained of us is like nine to five all year long. You have the clock to thank for that idea. Uh, people, when the clock came around, they stopped listening to their bodies and they started rising when their alarms went off not when their body was done resting but when, or when the sun came up, but when their alarm went off. People became, he says, more machine and less human. Then another turning, turning point in uh, 1879, the light bulb was invented and people for the first time could work past sunset. Before the light bulb was invented, people slept an average of 11 glorious hours a night. 11 hours a night was the norm. Now Americans get less than seven hours of sleep a night. Another big turning point happened in the 1960s. This wasn't that long ago, guys, the 1960s. Back then, businesses were still obligated by law to close on Sunday. So everything was shut down. The only thing that was open on Sunday was church. And then a little business called 7-Eleven came along and it changed all of that, which is probably why I have a serious aversion to 7-Elevens. They decided they were going to stay open seven days a week and until 11 p.m., hence the name 7-Eleven. Seven, so Sunday evolved from this day of rest, like you were forced to rest. You couldn't do anything. It evolved from a day of rest and worship to a day, as John Mark Comer puts it, to buy more crap we don't need, run errands, eat out, and get a jump start on our work for the week ahead. So we have clocks, we have light bulbs, we have 7-Elevens, and then in 2007, the iPhone, the iPhone. And I could say a lot about this, but I'm just going to say one thing, enter digital addiction. Tony Schwartz, in an article for the New York Times, he says, addiction is the relentless pull 
to a substance or an activity that becomes so compulsive, it ultimately interferes with everyday life. By that definition, probably everyone that you know is addicted to their smartphone, distracted and disordered and so very exhausted. So exhausted that people do not even have the mental strength capacity to step back and examine their lives and see that they have assimilated into this culture and they are living against the God-ordained rhythms. There is a better way. There is a life-giving rhythm. There is hope for our weary souls. Jesus says in Matthew 11, 28 through 29, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I have to read the message translation of this because it's just too good. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and to work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What an invitation. I call it a red letter invitation. It's the red letters of Jesus. This is an invitation from Jesus himself addressed to followers like me and you to come to him and to learn from him how to rest, how to recover our lives. To me, this is like an inspiring inspiring chef getting an invitation from Gordon Ramsay to, hey, come with me and I'll teach you how to make sticky toffee pudding and beef wellington. This is like an aspiring filmmaker getting an invitation from Spielberg. Hey, come with me and I'll teach you how to make great films. This is like an aspiring designer getting an invitation from Joanna Gaines. Hey, come with me and I'll teach you how to create great spaces. This is like an inspiring Broadway musical writer getting an invitation from Lynn Manuel, Miranda, to come with me and I'll teach you how to write write good songs. This is Jesus. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the one who was resting in the boat, the one who kept in perfect rhythm and harmony with heaven as he walked this earth, inviting you and me to come with him and learn how to recover our lives, to find rest for our souls, inviting us to take his yoke on us. Now you may be thinking, a yoke? Like hard pass, Jesus. Not interested in a yoke. Like, isn't a yoke one of those things they, they put on oxen for farming? Like, farming is hard. And remember, I'm exhausted, Jesus. Like, can't I swap the, the yoke for like a sleep number bed or a two-hour mani-pedi massage, whatever that looks like? No, a yoke is good. Yokes are farming. They are for farming. They are a work instrument. It is a piece of equipment. But here's the thing. Jesus's yoke is better than a bed. Because what we need to find rest for our souls is more than a power nap. We need a new framework for life. 
And that is what Jesus' yoke is. It is an instrument that, we, that Jesus, has used, uh, Jesus uses to join us with him so he can help us, as one writer puts it, to bear the weight of our humanity. Jesus wants to help us do that. He's not offering an easy life, but an easy yoke. Now, when he invites us to take his yoke on us, here's what he's doing. He's saying, hey, I want you to adopt my lifestyle instead of assimilating into the culture. He says, take my life template as your own. Come with me, walk with me, do what I do. I promise I will do the heavy lifting, walk shoulder to shoulder with me, and I promise I will set the pace. And I won't put anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Come to learn as I live. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. Until they find rest in him. Listen, to turn down this red letter invitation to learn from Jesus how to do life, we'd be a fool. Worse, we would be forever restless because it's in him that our hearts find rest. So are you ready to learn from Jesus? Are you ready to take his yoke upon you? Are you ready? ready. All right, let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, Mark 2. In Mark 2, we have a one-sentence sermon from Jesus about one of the keys to walking in this deep soul level rest, a one sentence sermon about the Sabbath. Let's take a quick look at the events that are leading up to this sermon. I don't have time to read all the details, but I encourage you to go back and read it this week. Mark 2, 23 to 27, it says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going to the grain fields and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to Jesus, look, Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I wanna spend uh, uh, the rest of our time together on the Sabbath because I believe that Sabbath is necessary if rest is going to be stronger than exhaustion. So this word Sabbath, it comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, write this definition down. The Hebrew word Shabbat, it means literally to stop. And it can also be translated to delight. So Sabbath, Shabbat means to stop and delight. To stop what? To stop working. To stop worrying. To stop wanting. And to delight. To delight in what? to delight in God's good world, to delight in our place in God's good world, and to delight above all in our creator. Here are a few of my favorite explanations of the Sabbath. They're in the notes. You can screenshot them. Don't worry about writing them down right now. Justin Whitmill Early says, Sabbath is a whimsical rebellion against the idea that work is the only important thing in the world. A whimsical rebellion. Sign me up. Ruth Haley Barton. Ruth Haley Barton says, Sabbath keeping is the linchpin. That's like the thing in the middle that holds a wheel together. Sabbath keeping is the linchpin of a life lived in sync with the rhythms that God himself built into our world. And yet it is the discipline that seems hardest for us to live. 
Sabbath keeping honors the body's need. Somebody say need. It honors the body's need for rest the spirit's need for replenishment and the soul's need to delight itself in God for God's own sake. And this one might be my favorite, Rich Villados. He says, Sabbath keeping is a weekly 24 hour period of unhurried delight with no have tos, ought tos, no have tos or ought tos resulting in deep rest and renewal. I hope that you're starting to see that the Sabbath is more than just a day off of work. Now, the Pharisees, they're hassling Jesus on the Sabbath because his disciples are going along and they're snagging up this grain as they're walking through this field with their rabbi. And even though snacking on the Sabbath was not prohibited by the law, the Pharisees perceived this grabbing of the grain, this plucking of the heads of grain, they perceived this as work. And they could not believe that this rabbi would allow his disciples to work on the Sabbath. But Jesus did not take up an issue with the disciples grabbing a snack on the Sabbath. What he took up issue with is the Pharisees and their misunderstanding of this command. So he says to the Pharisees, he's like, guys, two points. The Sabbath, one, the Sabbath, this 24-hour period of unhurried delight, it was made for man, okay? Two, man was not made for the Sabbath. He wanted to see they're missing the point or they're missing the heart behind this commanded Sabbath day. And in their culture, the Pharisees, in their culture, the Sabbath was something that was practiced very legalistically. Like they would build fences around these commands, fences around fences around fences so that nobody would stumble over a boundary and break the command. So they were very legalistic. So they, the Pharisees, they needed to hear the second part of Jesus's one sentence sermon on the Sabbath. They needed to hear man was not made for the Sabbath. They needed to hear, man was not made to serve the Sabbath day. So there's no sense in you guys being up in arms about them grabbing a snack as they walk through the grains or the, the field of grains. And there's also no sense in you being up in arms about me doing miracles on the Sabbath day. Did you know that Jesus did seven miracles on the Sabbath day? He's trying to point them to something. Man was not made to be a slave to this day. This day was made for man. This day is a day of healing, hence all the healings that I'm doing on the Sabbath day. This day is a day of rest of delight. Man was not made for Sabbath. Now, most Americans living in 2022 who are not only not legalistic when it comes to practicing the Sabbath, but who are on the total opposite end of the spectrum and we are not practicing the Sabbath at all, we need to hear the first half of what Jesus said in his one sentence sermon on the Sabbath, which was the Sabbath was made for us. The Sabbath was made for man to serve us. This is a day of rest created for us. It's a gift for us from our creator, a gift to be enjoyed, a gift for us to gratefully receive. Now this Sabbath day is a gift that can be traced all the way back to Genesis. You know the story, Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth, the animals, the sea, the stars, the moon, everything. On day six, he created male and female in his image. And then on day seven, look at this, Genesis 2, 2 through 3, it says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work 
Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all of the work of creation that he had done. So God rested. What did God rest from? He rested from his work. And in doing so, he built a rhythm into the universe, into the DNA of creation. Six days of work, one day of rest. Now, I want you to put yourself in Adam and Eve's shoes, although they probably didn't have shoes yet, okay? Put yourself in their feet. Put yourself in their feet, okay? They were fashioned on day six, which means that their very first day, their very first moments, their very first memories in the garden are a day of rest. They woke up on day seven and what did they see? God resting, God delighting, God blessing this day and setting it apart as holy. God wanted them to know rest and to know delight and to know celebration and to work from that place, not to be working for that place. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, holy. It was a holy day, a holy day. Somebody say holy day. Kind of sounds like another word, holiday, right? That's where we get our word, holiday. The first thing God wanted to do with these two beings made in his image, placed in this perfect garden was to celebrate the world's first holiday, a holy day consecrated to stopping and delighting. And what a day it must have been. Like, I just imagine this this week, like what would that day have been like? The very first Sabbath day, what must it have been like in the perfect garden? I imagine Adam and Eve waking up to the most beautiful sunrise ever. And just their breath taken away by the beauty all around them. I imagine them going on a walk like slowly strolling through the garden hand in hand, not looking to see how many steps they're getting in, how many calories that they're burning, but slowly walking through the garden, like stopping to take and eat of like the most savory strawberry ever. I imagine them laying beside some babbling brook and listening to it and just being still and getting in sync with the heartbeat of their creator taking an amazing, the most peaceful afternoon nap, waking up to a moment of like pure intimacy between man and wife, then going on another walk and stopping to smell every flower, like running through the luscious green grass like kids without a care or a concern in the world. I imagine them like sitting down at the end of the night, the sun begins to set, dusk settles in, sitting and watching quietly as the animals come out of their shy places to eat, to graze, to drink. This day of not worrying, not wanting, not working, just delighting in God's good world and their place in it and an unbroken awareness of his presence. But the curse falls and work becomes a grind. It produces thorns and thistles. Delight's no longer the default. And as the writer of Hebrews says, we now have to strive to enter that rest, to work to enter that rest. Now the Sabbath principle disappears for a bit, but it resurfaces in the 10 commandments. And maybe you're like, okay, hold it right there. Why are we talking about the law? I am not under the old covenant. I'm part of the new covenant. And if I have to observe one part of the law, it's going to make me a slave to all of the law. 
hear me, okay? Practicing the Sabbath is not about making you a slave to anything. It's the opposite. It's about setting you free from evil taskmasters. Those of you who are afraid that this talk is like a borderline legalistic, I want to remind you that the 10 commandments, okay, the fourth being the command to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, the 10 commandments were not given as a means of salvation. The 10 commandments were never intended to be the way by which man entered into relationship with God. Okay, let's remember that he first rescued his people out of Egypt and then gave them the 10 commandments. His love always comes first and his love is always unconditional. This is how I like to think about the commandments. The commands were to be a way of life that showed the rest of the world what redeemed people look like and how redeemed people live their lives. So understand, we aren't talking about practicing the Sabbath as a way to earn something from God. We're we're, we're talking about practicing the Sabbath as a way to enter into his promised rest. So Sabbath, like the other commands, Sabbath is a way to show the rest of the world what redeemed people look like and how redeemed people live their lives. And maybe you're thinking, well, I still just don't believe that I have to practice the Sabbath. Like from a moral or doctrinal standpoint, like I just don't believe I have to practice it, so I'm not going to practice it. Okay, what if we just look at it from a wisdom standpoint? Can we just look at it from a wisdom standpoint? Because last time I checked, you are not obligated by scripture to change the oil in your car every however many miles. But you do it. Why? Because it's wisdom. You were not commanded to not eat fireworks in scripture. But you don't eat fireworks, right? Why? Because it's wisdom. It's wisdom. Okay, practicing the Sabbath is wisdom. God set up this six to one rhythm of rest. And if we go against this rhythm, we do violence to our souls. We do violence to our souls. If you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. You get splinters. So Sabbath resurfaces in the 10 commandments, Exodus chapter 20. It's the fourth command. Then it's all about remembering the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. And you'll notice if you read the 10 commandments this weekend or this week, that it takes up more real estate. The fourth one about Sabbathing takes up more real estate than any of the other commands. Like if the 10 commandments were a pie chart, the commands who practice the Sabbath and all the details about it would take up 30% of the 10 commandment pie chart. So why does God go into such great detail about this commandment? Why is it hashed out more than any of the others? I believe because it was for 400 years. For 400 years, God's people had one identity. You know what it was? Slaves, slaves. They were slaves for 400 years. All they did was work, nonstop, back-breaking work. It's all that they knew. Generation after generation after generation. People, babies were being born into this where it's our identity to just be a slave and our lives are driven by a taskmaster. Nonstop work. Maybe you've experienced the same thing in your life where you feel like you're in a season of nonstop work. Maybe you're a single parent in here and you feel like, man, it's just work and exhaustion. You're in that cycle of work and exhaustion. Some type of 
oppression, some oppressive situation has put you, maybe you're trying to pay off a debt, maybe somebody left you with a bunch of debt and you're in an oppressive situation and all you know is work. Or maybe you, uh, maybe all you know is work has nothing to do with oppression, but it has to do more so with an obsession. You're just obsessed with your work. Like you really, really love what you do, which is good, but you're finding your identity and your worth and your security in what you do, which is not good. Whether it is nonstop work due to oppression or nonstop work due to obsession, either way, being a slave to work is a destructive way to live. Being a hard worker is something that's really valued in my family. I am one of seven kids, and uh, none of us went to college except for one, not me, my little brother. But we're all very, very, very hard workers. We all have different jobs, history teacher, pastor. My older brother works at a power plant. There's a photographer in the mix. We all have different jobs, but we're all really hard workers. We have this innate work ethic, which I think comes from my mom, because my mom was a single mom of four for a while, and she had to work really hard to keep the ship afloat. And even after she got married to my dad, who's also a really hard worker, she just kept working really hard. Working hard is in my bones. And I found my identity and work for many years. Like worked really hard as an athlete. I was gonna work really hard as a student. I was gonna work really hard as a believer, as a Christian, as a daughter of God. I was gonna work really hard at whatever, whatever it was, being an admin somewhere, uh, being a pastor, whatever it was. A volunteer at a church, I was going to work really, really hard at it. Work, working hard was all I knew, and it was what I knew best, and it became an obsession. I read somewhere the other day about a woman who, when asked what she loved most about being pregnant, answered, I love being pregnant because it's the only time I feel productive all the time. Even when I'm sleeping, I'm doing something. And I resonated with that. I loved being pregnant, loved it for many reasons. But after I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder if subconsciously this is one of the reasons I loved being pregnant because while I'm sleeping, I'm getting stuff done, which is an achiever's dream come true. It's a, it's a dream come true. Uh, I, I, also, I used to always struggle to like sit and to relax, to just be like, if I'm watching a show, I feel guilty. Like I need to be doing something productive with my life while I watch this show. Now, the idea of practicing Sabbath was a foreign concept to me until 12 years ago when I was sitting in a service just like this and my pastor began to talk about it. I knew about the Sabbath because I memorized the Ten Commandments when I was a kid, a missionette, as we do. We memorize the Ten Commandments. But I thought it was like, like this thing from a long time ago. We don't have to bother with it now. So I remember um, when my pastor starts to talk about this, this is at Gateway Church. Um, I put up my, my dukes a little bit, like, Really? Pastor Robert, you want me to take 24 hours to do nothing? Like, I'm not interested in that. Like, I, it wasn't the excuse of like, oh, you can't, I can't, you don't understand my situation, you don't understand my employer. It was like, no, I could do that if I want to, but I don't want to. That sounds like torture. That sounds boring. Like, I, I, I'm like, what will I have to show for myself at the end of the day? I liked achieving. But the more I grasped this heart behind the Sabbath and that God made it for me and that I was going against the rhythms of creation, I decided to go all in. And Josh and I started practicing a weekly Sabbath together and we don't miss, we never let a week go by without a 24 hour period of stopping and delighting. 
So 12 years now, 52 Sabbaths a year, something like 624 Sabbaths. Walter Brueggemann has this great line. He says, people who keep the Sabbath, Sabbath live all seven days differently. And it's so true. First, the Sabbath messes with one day of your week, and then it begins to mess with your whole life in the best kind of way. Living into God's rhythm has changed me. I'm all about now resisting the status quo, resisting the hurry, the busy, needing everything now, having to have something like to show at the end of the day, this lie that I am what I do or that I'm only valued by what I can produce. And let me just tell you, I will never go back. In fact, I just keep going deeper into Sabbath. By now, I know that you are all on board, right? Everyone's like, I see it. I see it now. I'm going to remember the Sabbath day and I'm going to keep it holy. Everybody is like, yeah, I'm ready to break out of the cycle of exhaustion. I see that it would not be wise for me to keep going against the grain of the universe. You're like, I want to stop getting splinters. I know that everybody now is going, I obviously, I obviously want to show the rest of the world what redeemed people look like and how redeemed people live their lives. I see that rest must be stronger than exhaustion. So how do I do it? I'm so glad that you asked that. So glad you asked. I've got three points as we close to help you piece together a framework for practicing the Sabbath. Because I want you to do this. I believe that this is one of the most life-changing practices that you can do. So I'm gonna give you a framework, okay? Number one, resisting work, resisting work. John Tyson says Sabbath is about resisting the insatiable desire to do. Insatiable desire to do. Resisting the insatiable desire to do. Resisting the tyranny of doing. Okay, Hunger Games fans, you are Katniss Everdeen and doing is the capital. You must resist doing on the Sabbath day. Star Wars fans, old Star Wars fans, you are Luke Skywalker. New Star Wars fans, you are Rey, and you must resist the empire. Resist doing on the Sabbath day. Lord of the Rings fans, you are Frodo or Sam, right? And doing is the corruption of Sauron. You must resist doing. You must resist working on the Sabbath. Resist the tyranny of doing. Now, more than likely, you're going to have to put some boundaries in place to help you do this. We know in the day and age that we live in that work goes with us wherever we go. Gone are the days of nine to five, close the computer and step away from your desk. Gone. Your email comes with you wherever you go. Your boss and your coworkers have your cell phone number. You're getting push notifications and things all throughout your day. So here's the question. What steps do you need to take to set aside an entire 24-hour period committed to resisting work and committed to resisting thinking about work. What do you need to do? How can you put your need to produce? How can you put your need to be needed, to be productive? How can you put your need down for 24 hours and walk away? like chopped on Food Network style. Like the timer goes off, you're done, hands up, walk away for 24 hours. What do you need to do to start doing that? For me, it looks like putting my computer away. Our Sabbath starts Thursday night around 6 or 7 p.m. And it goes to Friday night around 6 or 7 p.m. I encourage you to start your Sabbath in the evening, okay? So at 6 p.m. on Thursday, I take my laptop off of my desk 
and I put it away along with my planner and along with my to-do list, I put it away. What if the school emails you? Sorry, they'll figure it out. What if, what if, that, what, what, what if something's going on? Like if there's an emergency, our staff can contact us, whatever. The school has my phone number, but I'll email everything. I just put it away. I disconnect from social media. I take it off of my phone. I don't have email on my phone, but if I did, I'd find a way to take it off for 24 hours during that window. Josh and I don't talk about work on Sabbath. Like we've set up these things where it's like, we are resisting, we are resisting work. We are resisting trying to solve the problems of new song for 24 hours. We are resisting trying to figure out how to get people to move to Saturday night. We are resisting trying to figure out like, when are we gonna add another service? And what time is the perfect time to add another service? Like what's the magic hour? And how are we not going to burn out adding another service? We're resisting trying to solve those problems. We're resisting trying to polish that point on our message. We put it away. I'm not thinking about my message. I'm not thinking about the weekend. We resist trying to, to figure out how we're gonna deal with that disgruntled church member, whatever it looks like. We're resisting the tyranny of doing. We set super clear boundaries. We don't do housework on the Sabbath. We don't do yard work. We don't run errands. We don't get haircuts. We resist the tyranny of doing. That's what, that's what like if you Sabbath Saturday and Sunday, that's what your Saturday is for. Sunday is different. Here's the thing. When we resist the tyranny of doing, we're resisting so much more than just doing. We're resisting finding our identity in what we do. Resisting the lie that the world rests on our shoulders. We're resisting being leaders who fall into believing that we are responsible for building the church. We resist the lie that we're indispensable. We resist burnout. We resist breakdown. We resist the lie that we're loved because of what we do instead of loved for who we are. We're resisting trying to be God. Resist work. Number two, a framework for practicing the Sabbath is resting and worshiping. Resisting work resting and worshiping. Jesus invited us to rest, right? Come to me and find rest for your weary souls. Not come and find relaxation, but come and find rest. There's a difference. Relaxation is binge watching the crown. It is watching the football game. It's ordering fast food instead of making dinner. It's, you know, zoning out on TikTok or whatever. Um, this stuff may relax us momentarily. But you know, as well as I do, that there is no fast food, there is no entertainment that has ever provided deep soul level rest for me. Relaxation is fine. Movie, TV is fine. Watching the game is fine. Relaxation is fine, but it doesn't do a deep enough work. We need real rest. Sabbath is not just a day to veg out. It's also like we talked about, not a day to do all the chores we did earlier in the rest of the week. Sabbath is a day of rest and worship. It is not the same as a day off. It's not the same. It's consecrated. It is holy. And we need to make that connection in our mind. This is not the same as a day off. Your two days a week that you get off of work, if that's how your work week is set up, they should not look the same. Sabbath is set apart. Eugene Peterson, in his memoir, The Pastor, he writes about going on a retreat where the leader encouraged the pastors in the room who he knew were just taking two days off instead of taking a true Sabbath. He encouraged them to take a true Sabbath that involved stopping and worshiping, resting and worshiping. And so he decided that he was gonna live into this. He's like, I don't wanna live this exhausted life. I wanna take a true Sabbath. So he started a Sabbath ritual with his wife. 
Eugene and his wife took the encouragement of the retreat leader and they began a Sabbath ritual of prayerful hiking. They would drive to a trailhead where his wife Jan would read a psalm and pray aloud. Then they would hike in silence. Peterson writes, it was an Emmaus walk. Silence in which we listened to Jesus. They would break their silence with spoken prayer at lunch and then talk together about what they had seen and heard. Oh my gosh, like that's goals. So goals. The Sabbath sounds a lot different than a day off, right? It sounds a lot better. It's not just about resisting work. It's about restorative rest and worship. It's not about just sitting around in PJs and watching Netflix. It's about rest and worship. And by worship, I don't mean sitting around and listening to a worship playlist on Spotify all day. Worship is anything that stirs your heart towards grateful recognition of God's reality and of His goodness. So worship could look like watching a sunset. This is how I ended my Sabbath this week, sitting on my porch alone, watching the sunset and it's quiet and my phone is nowhere to be found. I'm sitting on my porch watching the sunset. I can hear the frogs in the, in the background, see the birds flying over, the sky changing colors. And I am telling you, this just the reverberating through my soul is Sabbath was made for man. And I felt such a deep level of rest after 24 hours of intentional Sabbath and felt so ready to go into my work week. Worship could look like uh, music for you, listening to like an amazing symphony. For us, it's not a symphony. We're more of a Beach Boys Pet Sounds type of people. Um, but, but listening to something that moves your heart, like, oh my gosh, the harmonies, the instrumentation, like the lyrics, like it moves your heart. Maybe it could look like reading a novel that's like so incredibly well-written that each page feels like a gift to you. This happened to me the other day. I was in a coffee shop and I'm reading this novel on Sabbath and like was about to burst into tears. I, I'm not being dramatic. Like it was the most beautiful writing. And I just found myself so thankful that God would give someone a gift like this to string words together on a page that would move me at that soul level. And I could feel the Lord smiling on me as I enjoyed this amazing piece of literature. I will just say that has never happened while I'm watching The Office. <laughs> never happened while I'm watching Seinfeld. Never happened while I'm adding items to my cart on Amazon. Relaxation and rest are different. Rest and worship. You may already be taking a day off. You may already be taking a day off. That's great. I'm so glad you are, but why not go all the way? Why not go all the way? Number three in a framework for practicing the Sabbath is pleasure stacking. Pleasure stacking. Dan Allender says it great, so I'm just gonna read him. I'm just gonna quote him. The Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives, without question or thought. It's the best day of the week. It's the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, if your Sabbath's on Saturday, and the day we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, have sex, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in its fullness. Few people, are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it to make it holy because a day of full delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. And then John Mark Comer says, if you're new to the Sabbath, a question to give shape to your practice is this, what could I do for 24 hours that would fill my soul with deep, 
throbbing joy that would make me spontaneously combust with wonder, awe, gratitude, and praise. The sad thing is, I think that when people ask this, themselves this question, like it's gonna take a while. Like that's where we've gotten as a people, we don't even know what brings our, our hearts, what brings our soul joy. But I want you to wrestle with that question this week. Step away from the work and wrestle with that question. If What could I do for 24 hours that would fill my soul with deep joy? Do you even know? Do you even know how God created you and the, thing, the way he made you? Like, to, like the, the things that he wants you to find pleasure in? The Sabbath should be filled with all kinds of sensory delight. Pleasure stacking. Pleasure on top of pleasure on top of pleasure. And it's not because that you worked, it's not because that you worked hard all week and now you deserve this day of pleasure. That's a broken framework. Because there's gonna be weeks where you don't feel like you deserve a Sabbath. But remember, Adam and Eve got to enjoy the Sabbath before work. So this isn't about, it's not about you get to enjoy this because it's not like a cheat day where I've, I've been really good all week and now I get to deserve this day full of pleasure stacking. It's also not designed to where like, this isn't something that God set up to make you more productive all week long. You probably will be more productive in your work when you take the day off, but that's not the reason for it because we're more than what we produce. This day is about God's good gifts and remembering that we couldn't earn it and we don't have to earn it, that it is a gift. And as we stop and as we delight and as we pleasure stack, as we order the French toast, as we put extra cream in our espresso for married people, as we have the best sex of the week, as we have unhurried uh, uh, meals around the table with the people that we love most, here's what we're reminded of. We're reminded of God's grace. We're reminded in this weekly day of rest that's never a reward, that it is a gift that's the same with God's grace never a reward or never it's never sorry God's grace is is never something that we work to earn it is always a reward a gift Sabbath keeping is not so much about us keeping the Sabbath but about the Sabbath keeping us a few weeks ago Josh Romano in his message on hospitality which was so good he says we have 21 chances every week to practice hospitality three meals a day uh, seven times a week is 21. You also have 52 chances a year to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy. 52 days every single year to resist work. 52 days every single year to rest and worship. 52 days every single year to revel in God's goodness. Start this week. Why not go all in? Maybe for you, it looks like Saturday at 4 p.m. That's when your Sabbath starts. Work's done, hands up, walk away. Start your Sabbath Saturday at 4 p.m. with us here at church. Corporate worship, public worship should be included in your Sabbath day. And should I volunteer? Can I volunteer? Is that breaking the Sabbath? Jesus did ministry on the Sabbath. So you can come and serve on the Sabbath. Don't worry about that. Worship with your church family. And then maybe after that, you had to do a fun dinner. Maybe you have dinner waiting in, on the crock pot. So when you get home, you can come in and eat a dinner. Like we started this new tradition on Thursday where Josh, who's the better cook, he prepares dinner for our family on Thursdays. And um, our family's used to like taco kits from Sam's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and the rest of the week. But on Thursdays, dad cooks and he like makes steaks and potatoes and cheese and carbs and bunt cakes. And we sit at our our fancy table. We sit at the dining room table. 
That's the only day of the week we sit there. We set it aside, we make it holy. We have special drinks, sodas for the kids that they usually don't get during the week. Sodas for the kids. We light candles. We use our best dishes. We make it something that the entire family looks forward to. It's the best day of their week. Josh prays for the family. The kids pray for us. It's incredible. It's an amazing way to start a Sabbath. I don't know what it looks like for you. Maybe it's sleeping in. Maybe it's staying in your robe, starting fire, making coffee, slowly reading your Bible, sitting on a bench, being silent, going on a walk, not with your watch beeping at you. Leave your watch at home and just go on a walk and be aware of God's presence. Be present with your loved ones. I'm telling you a big key to this is keeping your phone away as much as you can during that 24 hour period. Put it in a drawer if you have to, make it a dumb phone, turn off all notifications. Slowly ease back into the world, your world. Slowly ease back into your work at the end of the Sabbath. You get to that place, you're watching the sunset, whatever that looks like for you, where you feel like, okay, I'm rested and I'm ready to go do God's good work. It requires preparation, just like any holiday. Nobody wakes up on Christmas and they're like, what am I gonna do today? You've been planning it for weeks, right? Sabbath takes planning. The good news is you get 52 chances every year to practice. So stay consistent. Don't give up. Don't expect everything to click just the first time. And enjoy the gift. Sabbath is not so much about you keeping the Sabbath, but about the Sabbath keeping you. If you would, bow your heads. I wanna pray for you as we close. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you so much for this gift that has changed my life. And I pray that it is, you are, you are stirring some people up who maybe aren't resting at all, who maybe are taking a day off, but who, who are not truly Sabbathing. I pray, Lord, that, that, that you would just lead them by the Holy Spirit into what you have next for them, that you would help them as they sit down to think about this, as they sit down to plan this out as they talk with their friends, as they talk with their family. Okay, when should we start? When should we end? What does this look like? Okay, my, my, my work schedule's not Monday through Friday. So what does that look like for me? I pray that the Holy Spirit would just give them godly wisdom and lead them into all truth. Give them discernment. Holy Spirit, give us discernment so we can practice this gift. I pray that you'd show us where we're, we found our identity and what we do and what we can produce. Where we've been a slave to work. Help us to walk out of that into your freedom. You just love us for who we are. You love us for who we are. There's a business owner watching this on your couch right now. God is talking to you. He's saying, son, I love you for who you are. You have nothing to prove to me. Stop trying to make a name for yourself. You're killing yourself. You're shortchanging your family. Enter into my rest. Trust me. Trust me. We're so thankful. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just continue to speak. That everybody today would be able to leave here with something that they can go and do. We don't wanna just be hearers of this world word. We wanna be doers. Thank you, Lord. Empowers by the Holy Spirit. 
truly rest in this day that we don't deserve and that we couldn't earn, but you give to us anyways. Your grace is amazing. We take your yoke on us. We wanna learn from you, the master of life. We thank you, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.